0: Good afternoon. Welcome to episode two of the XRP podcast. My name is James Herbie, and I'm going to be the host for this episode. First of all, we'd like to uh, extend a a very heartfelt thank you to all of the people that took the time to download and listen to our introductory episode from uh, last Friday. We had over 400 uh, downloads. That's a, uh, I was very, uh, surprised and um, uh, very humbled by the feedback and the uh, comments and messages and and just kind sentiments from the people that were listening to our first episode. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us uh, on Twitter at podcast XRP. You can also uh, download directly from the Anchor platform at anchor.fm slash podcast XRP. You may also reach us uh, via email at podcast at Now, our topic today is going to be discussing proof of work. We're going to explain what that is and how it fits into the the uh, the crypto world. I want to take a little bit of time to discuss what exactly a blockchain network is. Um, distributed ledger technology. And how this all was kind of put together in the biggest and first um, proof of work blockchain, which is the Bitcoin network. Now, when we're talking about proof of work, or POW, if you like using the acronym, but proof of work is the first and original consensus algorithm in blockchain networks. And what we mean by that, when we're talking about a consensus algorithm, we're talking about the method that the blockchain network uses to validate transactions that occur on that network. In proof of work, you have what's called a decentralized ledger. Decentralized just means that no one person or party controls the the network. Any user that wants to participate on a blockchain network can can access that blockchain and they get a copy or they download a copy of the ledger, which is basically just a record of all of the transactions that have taken place on that blockchain from first transaction or what we call the Genesis block to where you are at that moment when you are Uh, confirming the transaction you're doing at the moment. So when we talk about blockchains, you may see the acronym DLT. That is short for Decentralized Ledger Technology or a blockchain. So when we're talking about proof of work, we're going to use Bitcoin as our model, as Bitcoin is the preeminent and the first blockchain network that used Proof of work as its way, its method to confirm transactions on that blockchain. All right, let's take a minute and walk through the steps that one would go to participate in a proof of work blockchain network. The most common, again, is Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is a public blockchain network. What that means is that anyone that has an internet connection, can connect to the uh, Bitcoin uh, server page. And if you'd like to research that, you can, you can Google that. Google uh, Bitcoin developer tools and you can find information on that. That's a discussion, a more in-depth discussion for another time. For now, just we're gonna stick to the basics. So when a user downloads the blockchain Ledger, you can now access the entire transaction history that has taken place on the Bitcoin network, all the way back to 2009. Uh, we, our introductory uh, episode, our first episode, actually was on the 10th anniversary of the introduction of Bitcoin. So we're up against a, a fairly significant milestone in the crypto world. You know, we're 10 years in, and the proof of work algorithm. Uh, method now has a pretty large um, history that we can we can examine to see what are the benefits and the drawbacks of this algorithm technique and the technology. So again, we said, you know, once you're able to uh, access and download the, the Bitcoin blockchain network, the question then becomes, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? All right. Now, most people that are that participate on the Bitcoin network, they are what are called miners. And you'll hear that word mining uh, quite frequently. Basically what mining is, it is a uh, a set group of users that are on the Bitcoin network, and they're doing what's, they are participating in the validating of the pending transactions on the network. So let's say I send, uh, Two hundred dollars in Bitcoin to um, my online poker site. So when I, when I send my when I send my transaction and I initiate it, it goes that the record of my transaction is logged onto the Bitcoin network. Now, everybody that participates on the Bitcoin network, remember it's a public network. Now, when you access, when you're accessing and you're on the Bitcoin network, you're not using your personal identifiable information. What I mean by that is you're not using your name. I'm not participating on the Bitcoin network as James Herbie or providing my social security number or personal address or phone number. To get to maintain privacy on a public blockchain like Bitcoin, every user is given what's called a hash. If you don't know what a hash is, it is a long string of numbers and letters that is identifiable only to you. So that when someone is looking at the um, the blockchain ledger and all the transactions, you're not going to see the two individuals' names when you're looking at that transaction. Every transaction is identified by the two users' individual hashes. And as transactions pile up on the Bitcoin network, the miners are performing what's called the consensus algorithm. Think of it as a very tricky uh, mathematical puzzle. And in essence, what you're doing is all the miners that are on the network, they're trying to be the first person to solve the individual math function that involves the different hashtags on the network to be able to identify and confirm that the users that are in that transaction are trusted on the network. So the algorithm that's being processed by all of these users and all of their computers, they're trying to solve... A function that not only identifies the users in each transaction within the block but also a second algorithm which is mathematically based the the, rule of thumb is the larger the computing power the better chance you have of being the person to validate those transactions and when you validate a group of transactions on the Bitcoin network it's called a block A block is just a group of individual transactions that are grouped together by sequence, and then once validated, placed on the blockchain. Once a block is confirmed and validated on the Bitcoin blockchain, then a new copy of that ledger now is available for everybody to see. So the next thought that we have is, well, why do miners participate in this process? You know, Why does an individual take the time to use their own computer processing power, their own time, their own efforts to participate on a network such as Bitcoin? And the the answer to that is that a proof-of-work blockchain works on what's called a reward system. If you are the user that... Validates a block on the Bitcoin network, you are rewarded with the issuance of units of Bitcoin. Or depending on if you're on another public blockchain network, when you validate a block, you are issued a certain amount of units in that cryptocurrency on that network. Currently, I believe the Bitcoin block reward right now is 12 and a half Bitcoin which uh, in today's prices is about $50,000 a block. So that is a large reward for being the validator of a Bitcoin block. But the reality is that Bitcoin mining has become a billion-dollar industry. You know, It's not uh, when the Bitcoin network first started in 2009, 10, 11, the, the early formative years. If you wanted to mine Bitcoin, you could do so from the comfort of your own home. You know, with a couple PCs and, uh, you know, giving yourself the right uh, computational power on your mining rig, it was very popular for individuals to be the miners. Well, as the price of Bitcoin has risen in the last couple of years, we now see more uh, formalized uh, business entities hopping into the business of mining Bitcoin And they do so with what are called mining pools. A mining pool is where you have a large uh, inventory of computers with large uh, CPU capacity, computational power capacity, to have many machines trying to solve the consensus algorithm as each block is pending. So you can imagine... If you are a, uh, an, an individual at home, you got maybe one or two computers, you're trying to solve the Bitcoin algorithm. Well, now, instead of competing against other individuals, now you're competing against uh, mining pools where you're talking about dozens, if not hundreds, of large uh, industrial commercial uh, capacity computers all doing the same processing of the algorithm function that you'd be doing at your um, at your home base. So the mining of Bitcoin has become a uh, a business in its own right, and the the idea of being able to mine Bitcoin as an individual is outdated and quaint at this time. Um, there are benefits to a proof of work system. Okay, um, one of them is obviously the mining uh, possibility where, uh, users are rewarded. You know, if you put the time and the effort into, um, you know, getting in the mining business and you are able to validate blocks, you know, the reward is there. Um, as long as Bitcoin is valuable, uh, at at least several, several thousand dollars of Bitcoin, um, you know, there is a limited uh, supply and, um, until all of the Bitcoin are mined on the network, the... The desire for people to mine and gather more Bitcoin will be there. Um, Another advantage of uh, a proof-of-work network besides the mining is that is the defense from what are called DOS attacks. Um, If you don't know what a DOS attack is, that is short for, in uh, computer speak, DOS is short for denial of service and uh, a denial of service or a DOS attack, that is when hackers try to clog uh, your network and your internet and your processing speed. Um, in order to be able to, uh, to clog uh, the Bitcoin network, you have to own um, at least 51% of the processing power on the network at one at any one time. So let me make sure I explain that to you in the right way. So if there are think of all the people that might be attempting to mine Bitcoin at three o'clock in the afternoon. So obviously you will have our mining pools and some individual miners. Now for someone to basically block and stop the uh, Bitcoin network from processing transactions, you would have to be able to control or deny service to at least half of the power that blockchain is running at that moment. It's very expensive. It's very time consuming. And the reward is not worth the risk. The risk is uh, taking out a network. The reward is 12 and a half Bitcoin. Okay. So the, the ability to um, you know, attack a public blockchain because you, reco- you need a, a majority of computational power to be in the hands of one person, it's just almost impossible to do. Let's talk now about the drawbacks of the, uh, the proof-of-work model. There's really three major criticisms of the proof-of-work uh, method, and they all apply really to the Bitcoin network. Number one, that they're slow, they're inefficient, and they're environmentally unfriendly. Slow, inefficient, environmentally unfriendly. Let's flush those out a little bit so we understand the uh, the high points of each. When we talk about the speed of a proof-of-work network, it's generally a lot slower than other consensus algorithm models. The reason for that is because you need to give the miners the appropriate time to figure out the algorithm for that block. Now, it generally takes about 10 to 15 minutes for a block to be confirmed on the Bitcoin network. That's an average, but there have been times where the confirmation of Bitcoin transactions really cr- uh, slows to a crawl. And the reason for that is because as the um, the value of Bitcoin has increased and the amount of miners has increased, you have a lot more computational power that's kind of fighting it out to earn that block reward. And the larger amount of computational power that's trying to figure out that, um, that hash function the slower it's going to take. So that's, that's one criticism. The second one is it's inefficient. Now, we're not talking about time in, in this case when we discuss inefficiency. We're talking about all of the lost computational power um, that literally disappears uh, once a Bitcoin block is confirmed on the blockchain. So let's use an example again. Uh, you know, If you have a pending block on the Bitcoin network, let's say you've got 500 miners trying to earn that block reward. Well, the question becomes, what happens to all of the computational power that was used by all the people that did not earn the reward? Obviously, if you're the one that earns the block reward, your uh, computing power is rewarded with the issuance of the Bitcoin units to yourself. But what about all the other people? Do they get anything? The answer is no. So when we're talking about inefficiency, what we're talking about is the way that the proof-of-work model is set up is that we waste a lot of computational power, computing power, that could go for a um, another purpose. Uh, that's a very big criticism of proof-of-work is the inefficiency of handling the overall computing power in each block. Finally, the... Um, the third criticism, to proof of work, and this is a, a criticism that you're hearing as Bitcoin and proof of work becomes more uh, into the general public uh, sphere, is that people are starting to understand how um, Bitcoin is mined. We realize how environmentally unfriendly it is. You know, Bitcoin is mined by computational power. That computing power is generated by electricity. The question becomes, well, how is that electricity generated? Well, that really depends on where you are trying to mine your Bitcoin. But there are, uh, you know, large quantities of you know solar power, fossil fuels, uh, other ways. We in uh, Washington State it's becoming very popular now for Bitcoin f- uh, mining farms to uh, set up shop near um, bodies of water, you know, that have uh, easy and accessible and cheap hydropower. So you know when you're talking about you know the lost computational power for each block confirmation and the fact that in step with that, we are we waste um, you know large amounts of electricity that are generated from resources, it is very um, uh, harmful. To um, local environments. So we've discussed the the pros and the cons of proof of work uh, in relation to a uh, public blockchain like Bitcoin. Uh, I want to just uh, take a moment. I, I'd be remi- uh, amiss if I, if I didn't bring this up. You know, it's actually within the last uh, forty eight hours of uh, recording this podcast, we have actually seen a fifty one percent attack on a on the public blockchain of the Ethereum Classic, or ETC, cryptocurrency. Uh, What happened was there was a mining farm, a Chinese mining farm, that was able to generate up to about 60% of all the computing power in several of the pending blocks. Now what happened is that one of the results of a a 51% attack like that is it creates what's called a double spend problem. Here's what that is. If, you can, if you're able, if you're successful in uh, achieving a majority of the uh, computing power on the blockchain, so you are controlling the majority of the network, what you then have the ability to do is you have the ability to do what's called a rollback of the transactions on the network. See, the, the, the whole concept of uh, distributed ledgers and blockchains is that it's supposed to prevent uh, hacks and, and theft. But unfortunately, we've seen that you know the, the 51% attacks can occur. And a the double spend problem is this when someone has the majority of computing power on a blockchain, they have the ability to go back to previous blocks or transactions that exist on the blockchain ledger and change them. Now, what happens when you do that is that all of the uh cryptocurrency that was spent in those transactions they are freed up and it allows the the majority holders to double spend or respend the crypto that was used in the previous transactions and if you uh, have read the news in uh, recent uh, you know the, the recent uh you know, press on this, uh, ETC, Ethereum classic hack, it's, uh, to the tune of about $1.1 million worth of ETC or Ethereum classic cryptocurrency. So, uh, you know, we have just seen even in the last, uh, you know, 48 hours that this is, uh, you know, proof of work and its vulnerabilities are, uh, extremely, uh, topical at the moment. And, um, we're seeing that it's a problem that's only getting worse, not better. So just to kind of summarize some of the things we've talked about, you know, we've we've covered the uh, the basics of what a proof of work blockchain network is. We've discussed uh, uh, briefly the process of mining, the reward system on the Bitcoin network. Talked about some of the advantages, how um, you know a public blockchain does increase your security for DOS attacks. It does allow for um, uh, a pretty solid level of privacy as far as protecting individuals' identities and transactions. But the drawbacks are becoming uh, evidently more clear the longer that we are able to analyze these networks. You know They're slow as far as the processing time of transactions and getting blocks confirmed. They're extremely inefficient in that we lose... Uh, large amounts of computing power uh, in the mining process that just goes um, uh, unused with any kind of utility attached to it. And then we talked about uh, the fact that proof of work is actually um, a, an environmentally unfriendly process through the wasting of electricity and the, uh, the fuel resources that are used, the energy sources used to generate that power. Um, you know, and we just saw that. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the recent fifty one percent attack on the ETC, the Ethereum Classic cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, shows that this is a very real problem. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this topic up for this episode now. Um, again, if you'd like to um, follow us on Twitter, you can at podcast XRP on Twitter. You can contact us by email at podcastxrp at gmail.com. And again, you can find us at anchor.fm slash podcastxrp. Again, my name is James Herbie. Uh, I thank you for listening to episode two today, talking about proof of work. In our next episode, we will discuss um, the uh, corporate structure of Ripple Labs and dive into uh, the leadership team of Ripple. And we will also introduce the uh, XRP consensus uh, algorithm model that's used on the XRP ledger to validate uh, the transactions on that blockchain. Again, my name is James Herbie. Thanks again for listening to the XRP podcast, and we will see you next time.